So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, it's going to be fun. I'm going to be unpacking for you what I call the 100-year plan. The real question is, how do you earn a dollar today and still have it working for you and in existence within your family, within your tribe in 100 years? So the kind of discussions that we have in the world right now are really about how do I create just enough wealth to get me through to D-Day? If I do all the right things, if I invest in the right things and earn enough money, maybe one day I'll be able to take my foot off the gas and stop worrying about money and start enjoying life. And in my opinion, you know, this paradigm is sold to the masses by governments, banks, wealth creation world in general. And they keep people thinking within conventional frameworks. Um, They keep the money wheels spinning so that um, all of the layers of middlemen of people can benefit from that. They talk a lot about that in a book um, called The Origins of Money. Uh, And really the community and the change that I'm trying to create with this podcast is partly about challenging ourselves um, to ask better quality questions with access to a different set of investments by kind of really challenging the timeline to creating financial freedom. There's very little question in my mind that it's, it's absolutely available to everyone to shorten their timeline to financial freedom decades before the average Joe. And when I say that, what I mean is we will all have enough if we put our head into this game. So if that's true, then the questions that we need to start asking ourselves are not about whether we will have enough, but how can we actually use that wealth to influence and change the world? Now that definitely might seem like a a lofty idea, but to, you know, think about whose lives you'd like to influence and make easier? Are there causes that you care about? Are there people in your tribe who maybe don't have the same skills and attributes that you do that maybe need a bit more help? So the overview that I want to kind of start with is it doesn't actually matter whether you have children or not, um, or whether you say you care about intergenerational wealth or not. I think the the context of having wealth that endures is, is still absolutely critical. And I want to pre-frame everything that I'm about to say by stressing that, you know, money is only a single component of financial legacy. But if you're not careful to structure your wealth in a way that it does actually perform over the long term, you are definitely at risk of eroding your capital base um, if the income stream doesn't endure. Where I want to actually get started today is kind of maybe identifying what I think the challenges actually are. So first off, we're, we're getting really bad at this idea of delayed gratification. We live in a world of wanting everything like now. Credit is readily available. Um, you know, before you even turn 18, you can actually start to tap into some of those schemes. And the world is full of, I'm going to say entitled, 
um, lovingly, um, but they just don't understand how to build or look after wealth. So regardless of how great your business is, you know, no matter how much of a cash cow it is, it's highly unlikely that most of us have kids that will step in to run them. And stewardship is a forgotten art. Um, it's not talked about in many people's homes. And, you know, when I talk about stewardship, I'm talking about your ability to look after and care for money. And the ultimate cost of that is that kids end up with no real motivation to create their own path. The next issue is that the, uh, the pathway to building wealth that most of us think we know about is simply to buy as many properties as we can and slowly ratchet up our net worth. Use lending, buy a property, hope that it goes up over time. The challenge, of course, is that as soon as those assets get passed down, the recipients often feel that the only way to improve their own financial situation is to actually sell those assets down. And it's hard to work out how to build wealth that will endure rather than pitter out. And, you know, you certainly aren't trying to build this wealth only to have it liquidated and sold off down the line. And look, even if you created a massive asset base, you know, let's say you could you know, get to $100 million tomorrow, but the incoming team or the recipients don't know what to do with it, it can actually be lost in a few short years. And so that lack of wisdom um, to you know, continue uh, growing that wealth is, is really tough. And there is a reluctant acceptance that life is more complex more now, sorry, more than ever. And, you know, maybe we wonder whether recipients of our wealth will even, even have the inclination, the thinking and the wisdom to keep those investments going. And I think what a lot of wealthier people are starting to worry about is that, you know, we've spent so much of our lives building that wealth and wanting to have an impact that, in, in fact, it will, it will only disintegrate um, when we're not around anymore. Now, let me tell you what I think the alternative to all of that is. Um, if we get this right, if we, if we can kind of um, create a new paradigm for ourselves, what we can actually do is put guardrails in place so that recipients of wealth actually understand that regardless of their personal spending views, they have rules which prevent them from getting out of balance. That regardless of the size of the inheritance that's left behind, recipients should at least understand how to springboard their ambitions rather than using it as a crutch. Regardless of how much common sense, intellect or natural interest your recipients have in wealth creation and money, they'll at least have a semblance of guidance from multiple sources. And, you know, I guess ultimately what we're all looking for is we want to know that the wealth that we've built and the investment into education will result in some kind of robust wealth that will endure into the future. Let's kind of make this super practical. The first thing I wanted to share with you was a study done by Natixis, N-A-T-I-X-I-S, Natixis, Natixis maybe, um, US investor survey. And what they actually did was they went out and they interviewed a very large number of under 35-year-olds. And what was really interesting is that almost 70%, so 68% of young people actually expect to get an inheritance. The flip side to that is they interviewed people um, over the age of 65 and allegedly only 40% of parents actually plan to leave an inheritance. So Obviously, there's a, a discrepancy there. You know, a lot of millennials are saying they plan to quit working before the age of 59, which is on average 
a full six years earlier than baby boomers who expect to retire at 65. And, and so part of the strategy that a lot of people reported was, I hope to get an inheritance. I think the, the real sort of insight here is that even if you do the, all the right things, no amount of family talk is going to guarantee that recipients won't lose it anyway. There's a, a, a fellow by the name of Tony Manville who was a very wealthy um, heir to an asbestos business empire who ended up going through 13 marriages and lost millions and millions of dollars. And so, you know, people thought there was no way that that could happen and, uh, yeah, just a series of poor personal decisions basically um, killed the fortune. So those are the sorts of things that you can't insure against. It's also really important to understand that lots of people have opinions about this sort of stuff, but nothing is for certain. And, and the only thing that you can do with, you know, all of this is stack the odds in your favor. So, you know, from my perspective, after studying intergenerational wealth, financial legacy, family office for years and years now, it's abundantly clear that there are plenty of arguments out there for how you should develop your estate and manage financial legacy, but it's all just opinion. So my goal today is really just to kind of share with you some insights that you may not have heard before and help you formulate what you might do with your own financial legacy. So I think the best way to do this is always through stories. The first thing I want to kind of flag is that there are huge differences between the attitude of uh, the new rich, um, meaning people like us who are self-made, we didn't get a um, you know any money handed down to us, versus old money where maybe there's been several generations of wealth inheritance. And you know I think the, there was a study done by Fortune of 30 multi-millionaires, decamillionaires. And um, of those 30, six of them said that their children would be much better off with only minimal inheritances. And, you know, almost half of those people, um, so 15 out of those 30, at least half, um, plan to leave as much to charity as they did to their children. And 12 comparable old money estates only one of them gave away as much. So I think the, uh, the, the insight of this survey was that old money tends to want to keep it in the family, whereas new money, because they've had to work to create that wealth, I think there's an inherent um, recognition that it's really important to try and impart some of that wisdom from a life lesson perspective. So let me give you some examples here. So Mark Zuckerberg, he's worth you know, in excess of, I'm going to say 70 billion now, that number keeps moving. When he had his first child in 2015, him and his wife, Priscilla, made a really interesting announcement. They they basically said they don't actually plan to leave their billions at all to their children. And instead, they founded the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And their plan is that they're going to give 99% of their Facebook shares, which um is probably in excess of $40 billion to advancing that mission. Bill Gates, very similar. They've basically described that they're actually giving their kids a minuscule portion of their estimated, I'm going to say 90 billion plus fortune 
And Bill Gates has been quoted as saying is, you know, they've got to find their own way. And, you know, the truth is, even though a tiny fraction of their wealth will be enough to put each of their children in amongst the wealthiest individuals in the world, Bill Gates believes it will actually compel them to rely on themselves. So it's not actually in their favor to have them inherit huge sums of money and that it distorts what they might do um, and distorts them from creating their own path. So they actually, um, and I know they're, they're separated now, but they planned to put the majority of their fortune towards charitable causes, including their, their own foundation, which is you know aimed at eradicating disease and poverty. And they're going to do that along with you know fellow billionaire Warren Buffett. Uh, so they've created a what they're calling a giving pledge. And what they're trying to encourage is more of the super rich people to leave the majority of their wealth to philanthropic causes. Chuck Feeney, at age 86, um, Chuck Feeney was the co-founder of the Duty Free Shoppers Group. He's probably actually 88, I'm going to say. He's actually technically a not a billionaire anymore, and that's because um, over the course of his life, he has been very quietly dedicating the donation of his entire fortune to charitable causes. So that he his plan is, I think he was once worth about um, $8 billion. Um, he's down to allegedly his last $2 million, uh, which is 0.001% of the amount that he's given away. So, you know, Business Insider reported that his children won't see even a dollar from their inheritance um, but they're super understanding about their father's goodwill. Uh, and, you know, one of their children actually said that, you know, it is eccentric, but that he sheltered them from being people who would have treated them differently had they had the money. So, you know, I, I guess her claim was that uh, it made us normal people. Obviously, Warren Buffett, I always like to refer to Warren Buffett. He plans at the point that I've put this together uh, allegedly to leave each of his children, um, three children, $2 billion, um, which is nowhere near the full scope of his, um, you know, $70, $80 billion fortune. He's quoted as saying he wants to leave his kids enough money so that they feel they could do anything, but, you know, not so much that they do nothing. Um, I know I've, I've read an article that his daughter was uh, quoted as talking about in terms of slight frustration that Warren Buffett doesn't believe in handouts and so she wasn't even able to go to him to ask for support to renovate the kitchen. You know, his expectation is that, you know, it's your life, you you need to manage your finances on your own. Not sure how true that is but um, it makes for a great story anyway. But, yeah, he's he's pretty pretty much committed to donating more than 99% to, to charity. Andrew Lloyd Webber, best known for his hit musicals as Phantom of the Opera and Cats, is, you know, reportedly worth over a billion dollars and he's actually said his five children won't be getting rich off his success. So the list goes on and on and on. So the question is, why shouldn't parents leave it to their children? And what usually troubles successful business owners and executives is that the large inheritance will encourage their kids to do nothing useful with their lives. This idea of no pain, no gain is, is a really interesting one to marinate on. You may feel differently. I think what a lot of parents feel is that they suffered and had to work really hard to create 
their wealth. So they don't want their children to, you know, grow up experiencing that same pain. So where I want to kind of get you to reflect on is, you know, this episode is not so much about the tactics of what to do to create a dollar that you earn today and have it, you know, be available in 100 years, but it's more about the thinking that goes with it. I'd love to continue this as a maybe a series and, and kind of unpack it in more detail, but where I want to leave you today is getting you to reflect with your family, with your partner, within your tribe, or even just by yourself over a cup of tea, is think about what is your view on the level of financial support of your family that matters? You know, is it full support? Is it no support? And and looking forward, what is one thing you're not sure about helping with? One of the things I'm huge on inside of the Freedom Warrior Mastermind is getting people to develop what I call a family investment charter. And part of that charter is really about setting out, first of all, like what is your intention? What is your hope? What is your vision for your um, recipients, for your descendants in terms of what you'd love to see someone in a hundred years doing with that money, thinking about that money, um, managing that money? And then you can start to flesh out all the other elements of a family investment charter. Now, we don't necessarily have time to go through those today, but as I said, I think this idea of a 100-year plan is fascinating and certainly one that for those people who are, you know, they're out of the gates with their investment portfolio, they recognize the, I guess, that they're playing that next level of the game where they, you know, they know they have enough. And so it's the, the thoughts turn to structuring annuities, preservation, making sure that your capital isn't eroded from things like taxes, inheritance, things like that. You know, these are the sorts of considerations that are super, super important. So anyway, guys, this is really just a taster of some topics that I'd like to kind of go deeper on, but it is a starting point to reflect on this idea of you know, what do you see happening with your wealth when you're not around anymore? Anyway, hope you found that useful. Till next time. Take care, guys. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.